Man, good morning. I thought it was going to be the few, the proud, and the prey, but this is the many. Making here through the snow, and that's pretty amazing. Especially in western Washington, I hear that uh, western Washington drivers are not known to be the boldest and best with snow. They have flakes just start falling, people start jumping out of their cars, and a lot of fear involved. Anyhow, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to our church. If you're new, this truly is a place you can belong before you believe, which means you don't have to believe everything I believe to be here and to find relationships and start moving forward on your spiritual journey. Um, we're in this series on 21 days of prayer where we're just trying to turn the temperature of prayer up in our church, help every person who's willing to engage to take maybe just a little step or a big step into their life in prayer. Maybe going from not praying at all to starting to pray a little. Maybe from going to pray a little bit to a little bit more. And maybe if you're like great at prayer, maybe your next step is actually teaching other people to pray um, with your life. Sometimes we don't share what, what, how God has answered our prayers and teach others how to pray. But as a community, if we can come together and just turn up the temperature of prayer, uh, we believe that God's going to do amazing things. All great movements of God are preceded by movements of prayer where God's people are asking God to move. So we really believe that, and uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, the first week we asked the dangerous prayer. Um, in, the, in the sermon we asked this dangerous prayer, God, search me, search my heart. And we've had people praying that prayer, and God revealing things that they were either unaware of or they were aware of, but they just wanted to ignore And like God is working on people's hearts because they had the boldness and courage to pray that prayer. Last week we talked about having having the ability to have expectation when you pray. Not to pray like and being afraid to expect God to move, but praying with expectation, praying with boldness. And I'm telling you, people are praying in our church with boldness like I've never seen before. We're having answered prayer. We've we've had people, uh, you know, write in, let us know, hey, thank you for praying with us. Um, we were struggling with infertility. There's no way that we can have kids. And, and we were going to our last, uh, our last uh, meeting with the doctor. And then we we're going to try something to an honor. You know, when we were going to head out, uh, we found out that we were pregnant. You know, like God is answering prayers. And, um, and I know there's people that are here like, why aren't my prayers answered right now? And we've, we've looked at that reality that sometimes it's kind of a wait. Sometimes God says, no, that's not the right thing right now, or it's not the right thing for you. And sometimes God says, yes, and it's like now. And we get to live in that, that in-between where we're figuring that out. So um, I wanted to encourage you guys with our last sermon on prayer before we head into our faith series. Um, and I wanted to ask this question. Is there anybody in the building here today that struggles making decisions? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, eh, I str- I'm not really sure if I struggle with it or not. You know, there's some of you, how many of you guys struggle making the commitment, a commitment at all? How about like multiple little commitments? How many of you guys struggle making like one big commitment? You're fine with lots of little ones, just one big commitment that freaks you out. There's a few of you guys. Um, <laughs> my wife struggles wavering with decisions and commitments, especially when you give her a menu, right? We sit down to a restaurant, she's given a menu, she kind of looks at it, she's reading it, very thorough, she's very thorough, reading through these things, and there's number one, and that's this, well, that looks good, and number two, that looks, and she'll 
look at it, you know, every way you can look at this thing. And, you know, I'm like one of those guys, as soon as we can get the order in, the better, because then food will reach my mouth. And even if it's like, even if it's like, oh, I could have got something better, I'm still okay, because I, at least I'm, I'm full, you know, I'm like feeding myself. My wife's taking the time and dainty and flips it over and looks at it, you know, and then the, the waiter or waitress will come and say, can I take your order? I'm like, yes, I'll take this. And my wife will be like, well, what's, tell me about number one. Like tell you about number one. The, the menu tells you about number one. I need to make a decision. I don't want to make a, a wrong decision. She's afraid of messing up and missing out. Like that's her fear and why she doesn't, she has struggles making this decision. So she's like, how about number one? Well, it has this and it's got this vinaigrette and blah, blah, blah. That sounds wonderful. Well, how about number two? And then like, well, that has this amazing red sauce and it's got this and it's one of our most popular dishes. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm like, okay, she's going to order it. How about number three? What is that? I'm just like, can you just order? She's like, okay, okay, okay. And then she'll order. She'll be like, okay, I'll take number one. As the person's like, okay, they mark it down because they've signed her up for the commitment on her, you know, little black, you know, dealio and signs her up and starts walking away. She's like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Give, give me the number two. I've changed my mind. I'm like, okay. I'm number two, right? The person's like, starts writing number two. Actually, actually, wait, what, what's the most popular dish? And I'm like, ah, just pick something. And if you guys waver when you're making a decision, um, I can make fun of my wife, but when it comes to bigger decisions, like really big ones, like what to get engaged with her, like I, when I first met her, I was like, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And she was kind of like, I'm not sure about this guy. And then by the time, like she was ready to go full force and like, okay, I feel comfortable. Like I was like, I'm not sure. And I just couldn't like make the final commitment, you know, I didn't, we didn't want to break up. But then it was like, but should we get engaged and get married? And, And it was just like hard I think all of us can face that. And I want to look at a scripture where, where there's people that are facing a, t- a decision. 1 Kings chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be starting in verse 20. You can follow up on the screen behind us as well. 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 20. And to set this up, just so you know what's going on, we're, we're, we're jumping into a point in history where God's people, Israel, they're in there, they've created a nation, they've got a nation, and and they uh, have turned. All of God's people, his people that he's called out, the people that he saved from Egypt, his people are now in the promised land, and they have turned away from him. They've turned their hearts from God. They've started worshiping Baal and Asherah, these other gods. They're worshiping idols. And these other gods are, are uh, the, the types of faith and religion and socioeconomic stuff. Is It actually leads people to do self-harm, um, uh, cutting and hurting themselves. Weird, super weird fertility rituals that I won't go into because I noticed there's a few young kids here. But just weird, dark evil stuff that they're being all the stuff that they're that they're their leaders and their religious uh like their king and the religious leaders are actually leading them and and um and actually promoting that they do this stuff and it's completely contrary to what god has called them to be and what god has called them to do and they've started kind of worshiping and some people are like kind of in between and they're like should i worship baal should i worship god i'll maybe do both that's where we pick up in the story whole the the, the, the nation of Israel have turned their hearts away from God. In verse 20 it says, So Ahab the king summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at, at Mount Carmel. And then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. They couldn't make a commitment. Elijah asked him, how long will you waver? How long will you have one foot in this world and one foot in this world? How long will you, will you go with what the world is saying is best? And how long will you, will you, will you prioritize the world over me? You know, like you could, you could fundamentally ask, like, when will you uh, stop letting the world set your priority, priorities? And when will, we, when will you start letting God set your priorities? And they're caught in the in-between. Can't make a commitment. Let me, let me ask you a question today. What have you been wavering about in your faith? Where are you wavering or what have you been wavering over with your faith and your commitment to God? If we were just to get really, I mean, if you were to tell someone next to you today, if you would say, well, here's what it is. Identify, where have you been wavering? What are some of the signs of wavering in our, our, our faith? Well, one of them is, uh, it comes back to the priority thing. Where do we put our energy, our time, our money? If someone were to look at your life and they were just watch your habits, your behaviors, your time, your energy, all that stuff, what, what would they say you're, you, you're actually prioritizing? Because we can say, like, we, you prioritize something. I can say I'm prioritizing my diet, but functionally, if someone were following me around, they'd say, like, my diet's very unique. And it's adding pounds, you know, weekly. Um, there's a difference between our actions sometimes and what we say our priorities are. What, what are your real priorities? Your real priorities. Where you're actually spending your time and your habits, your energies. And, and often when people are struggling with the decision, there's fear involved in making the decision. We live in a culture that has such an anxiety and fear about making, a deci- making the wrong decision. Like there's a fear of missing out. So I don't want to make a decision to commit to this. There's a fear of messing up. Like if I make this decision then I, and I mess it up and it doesn't go the way I wanted and I marry this person or I eat this food or I, you know, it can be something really big, it can be something really small. Like if, if we get this puppy or that puppy, like I don't want that weight to be on me because if I mess up and they rip up the house, that's on me. And so we, unknowingly, I think we have a, a culture, this is in the church and this is just in our world, of people who are afraid to make decisions and they hand decisions away to other people or they, they, they don't make a decision. And, and Elijah, when he asks the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? He's, he's identifying a spiritual <clears throat> issue. He's identifying that like, you, you can't commit. You are not committed. Your decision not to commit is a commitment. Yeah? Um, and here's, here's something. Uh, you can take this for what it's worth. But when we don't own our life, when we don't say, hey, uh, I have the power to make decisions, we give that power to somebody else. We give that away. We give that away. Uh, and there's three... There's often three ways or three types of people that, that form when you hand the decision-making power, when you don't take ownership of your life. 
when you're too afraid to make decisions, when you, you just can't make them. There's three kinds of people that form. There's one, it's the, uh, it's the bystander. They just kind of watch as their life goes by them. It's like watching someone else's movie, but it's your life. But because you don't make any decisions, you just watch other people and you watch your kids and make, whether they're making great decisions or horrible decisions, you're just a bystander watching it. And your life is going by and it's marching by and time is moving on. But, but you don't, because you don't want to miss up, miss out or mess up or whatever, um, it, it goes by and you're just watching it. Bystander. And you've bought into this lie that you can't have anything to say about the way in which your life goes and the decisions that you actually can make. Uh, the second uh, t- type is, uh, is victims. People become victims. If uh, I don't want to make the decision I'm, I, and I don't have the ability or I'm afraid or whatever reason you might have for not making a decision, not being able to decide and you're wavering, um, often people can become victims and I'm just, woe is me and this always happens to me and there's just, and there's no ownership. Like what could I have done differently because they're a victim? I'm a victim. I'm just everything's outside of my control and life's just awful and bum 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 and and that there's the victim narrative. Are you guys familiar with that? The victim narrative like that I just never I had no control and this horrible thing and then this horrible thing and this horrible thing and the whole life is just like they're victims. Why? And they, they can't do anything. And, they, and they're handing away their God-given ability to make a choice, to make a decision, and to live with the life that they're choosing, and to have something to say about who they're becoming. And lastly, they can get so bad where people have experienced disappointment, and I made this decision and went badly, or this happened in my life, that, that all of a sudden, instead of taking ownership and making a choice and, begin, and being willing to learn from whatever happens... And have courage, instead of that, a bitterness begins to take over their heart and they can become bitter critics. Man, that's one of the worst. I don't want that to happen to you. Where it's like, this wasn't fair and I'm angry at this person. And they're criticizing other people's decisions and criticizing this person's decision. And they're critic, 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 and bitter and bitter and getting more and more bitter. And, and what they've done, what they're doing unknowingly is handing away their power. And then they're, and then they're dragging other people into their bitterness. And sometimes we don't recognize it, but the reason someone might be bitter and angry and is because that they're afraid to take ownership of their life because of all the bad things that have happened to them. Now, I'm not saying that you and I are in full control. No way. I mean, the only one who can like do anything he wants in this world is God. But God has given you this innate, beautiful thing. It's part of the image of God that you can make decisions. And even if it's a wrong decision, or even if it doesn't go with the way you want, you can choose how you respond to that. You can choose to own it. You can choose to learn from it. You can choose to grow through it. And we have a culture where people don't want to grow through it. They want to be a bystander, a victim, or a critic. And when Elijah asked this question, how long will you waver? He's acknowledging that how long will you push off your God-given ability and right to make a decision. Don't live in the in-between. Make a decision. Come on. Step into it. And if you mess up, you can f- fix it. You can learn. But make a decision. I feel like there's some people here today that, that need to hear that. And we're seeing it right here. And so, you know, some people, you guys know how they train a lion? 
Yeah, you tame a lion. The lion tamers will take like a stool and it's got like three or four um, um, stool posts that are, that are held up, kind of the feet, the legs of the stool. And the reason they do it and they'll move it around is because a lion, uh, they can't like, they're, they're, they're wired to focus on one thing, but if there's like multiple things to focus on, like the three or four legs of a stool and it's moving, it like puts them in a trance because they, they can't make a decision, they can't do anything because there's all these things moving. And, they're, and basically it's like overriding their system. Some of us are like this lion, we're just like in this trance, not making a decision with our faith and with our family and with our lives because we've got too many things that we're focused on. Focus brings priority. Focus helps us make a decision. Now let's keep moving in this story. Verse 22, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord. He's this lonely figure. There's nobody else with him. Uh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. He's like, I'm the only one standing here. And then there's 450 prophets of Baal leading you, leading Israel, leading all these people who have gathered in the wrong way. Let, let, let two bulls be given to us, one to the Baal prophets, one to, to me, the prophet of Yahweh. And they are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, place it on the wood, but not light a fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, he says to the Baal prophets, and I will call on the name of, of the Lord, my God. And the God who answers with fire, well, he's God. And all the people answered, that's fine. You take the faith, Elijah. You take the risk. You make that commitment, Elijah. We'll watch. Isn't it interesting that no one said, you know what, to heck with Baal and this, you know, this craziness, I'm going to step in and I'm going to stand with the Lord. No one did that. They're like, yeah, we'll watch. We'll observe. We'll be the bystanders. We won't make a decision. So then Elijah said to the uh, prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, it's 450 of you and one of me, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. And then call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Picking up in verse 26. So they took the bull that he gave gave them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. And then they danced around the altar. They danced like this. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) So you guys are like getting phones out. It's going to be rich. Then they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, and he said, Shout loudly! I love this. Elijah, the spiritual leader that he was, mocked them. (laughs) Now, aside, I don't know if this is very biblical, but there's some of you that have the gift of mocking. And I'd say 99.9 of your use of it is probably evil and terrible and for your own selfish game. But it might be possible for some of your mocking ability to be used by the Lord. <laughs> Just make sure it's used by the Lord. There's, there's some wives that are patting there. You know, there's poking going on. Well, here's what Elijah did. He, uh, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a, he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe he's on, on the road. Maybe he's traveling. He's on vacation. That's what he's saying. You need to speak louder. Yell louder, guys. I know there's 450 of you, but you need to get louder. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. 
You just imagine, here's the prophet of God. He's supposed to be this like serene, holy, sacred figure. And he's just making fun of these Baal prophets. And, and the, all the people are watching. You know, I'm sure none of them were laughing, right? And then they, um, you know, it's interesting. If he was going to go down, there's 450 of these Baal prophets. The king is following them. He's alone. The people haven't joined him. He's the only one who's believing what he's believing. I mean, he's like, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out mocking them. I'm going to go out big. I'm going to, this is going to be pretty bad if it doesn't go well. They shouted loudly. And after he said these things, he, it cut, they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed uh, over uh, them. And we, we, we're seeing this contrast where, where Elijah is showing there's this God that they serve that requires them to spill their blood so he'll listen to them, maybe, even though he won't. And he's contrasting with the God who actually sends his son to bleed for us. They go on in the story. Um, verse 29. All afternoon they kept raving until, uh, until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention to them. There was no answer, no fire, nothing. And then in verse 30, now this starts to get really good, guys. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So he gathers them close. I mean, if he's going to fail and God doesn't show up, he's going to fail in epic fashion. I mean, that's faith, isn't it? This guy is, he's setting himself up to look like the biggest fool if God doesn't show up. I mean, look how big of a fool he sets himself up to be. Come near me, and so all the people approached him, and then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down, because remember, like, Baal's being worshipped, so like, they tore, the leaders had, had people tear down all the, all the um, altars for gods and worship Yahweh, and they set up Baal and Asherah and these, these uh, other gods. And so he, he, he sets back up the one that's been torn down. And verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And the reason, some of you guys, 12 stones, 12 tribes, it's the 12 tribes that God had chosen out. He's reminding them with the 12 stones of who they are. We are the people of God. You have forgotten who you are. Do not forget that God is the God who freed us. And he, he sets up 12 to remind them. And, and he sets these up in an altar. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the, the wood, cut up the bowl, placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned on the wood. Like, that's not how you light fire and get it ready by putting and dousing it with water. And so he has them douse the whole thing with water. And then, he, and then he says, that's not enough. A second time. So they douse the whole thing with water a second time. And then he says, that's not enough. A, a third time. They douse the, the wood and the bowl and the, the altar with water a third time. And, and, and so the water ran all around the altar. He even had, he even had them fill the trench with water. If this didn't work, he would look like the biggest fool, the biggest idiot in the world. But this is what he felt the Lord was saying for him to do. At that time, for the offering, in the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said this prayer. 
Now listen to this prayer, friends. This is one of the most unbelievable prayers in Scripture. It's actually echoed in the New Testament. This prayer is an unbelievable, bold, courageous prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. He's saying, my, the, the God of my ancestors, the God who has led us and freed us. Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and not Baal. And not some stupid priest that thinks Baal's like no one's God except you. And I am your servant. I'm not God. I'm not the, the, the big leader. You're the leader. I'm just your servant. And he prays this, and that your word, by your word, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. Like that is an audacious prayer. How many of you guys know that like, you can't change someone's heart? You can't change someone's heart. Like, there's sometimes I feel so powerless when I see someone going away that's just so destructive and devastating for their faith and their life, their families, and, and toxic, and you're just like, no. And I, I can't make their decisions for them. You can't make their decisions for them. People can't make your decisions for you. You can hand those away, but that's a form of decision that's just, that's the part of the problem. And he prays this audacious prayer, God, let the, bring fire like this amazing, impossible event. Bring fire so that people would know that you're God. And here's the biggest miracle he's praying for. Not that fire would fall from the sky, but that God would turn human hearts back to him. Where they have been following the way of the world, or they're with the, they're like the whole group of people that are like, well, we wanna, I want to worship some Baal and worship some God. But that choice is making a choice not to really worship God. He, he, he's, he's, he's saying, God, turn their hearts. Do the, what, the thing that only you can, you can do. And in verse 38, it says, when he, after he prays that prayer, the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, it says they fell face down. It's like that, oh crap moment, we were wrong. And they say this, the Lord, he is God. Not Baal, not King Ahab, not his priests, not Asherah. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And a whole nation witnesses the power of God. Don't miss this moment. Elijah sets the stones and then ask God to bring the fire. He, he sets the stones, and then he asks God to bring the fire. He realizes he can't bring the fire. But he sets the stones in place, and then asks him to do that. I, I, I want to ask you a question. What stones need to be set in your life in faith? Where are the areas you've been afraid and you've been wavering to make a decision and God just wants you to in front of people that might laugh at you or think you're ridiculous and like it doesn't make sense. Like, like just like Elijah set these stones in front of people before there's any fire. I mean, people are willing to run up after this whole event happens be like, now I'll set my stones up. I'll put, I'll, I'll join you, Elijah. 
No one was willing to join him for the faith part. Next week, we're going to be starting a series on faith. And it is all about the reality that everybody wants to have the results of faith in their life without having to live a life of faith. We want, we want the fire and then we'll set the stones. And Elijah sets the stones in faith. And then he just looks up to heaven and says, God, you bring the fire. Would you change their hearts? Would you, he doesn't want just the fire and miracle to like be a miracle man. He's, he wants God's power to be made known so that the, his nation would turn back to the Lord. And we, don't we live in a time where like it, 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 it would, it would, there'd be some good benefits if we had a world that turned back to God? Turn back to love, turn back to grace, turn back to what we know is good and what we know is true. What stones are in your life that need to be set? Some of you guys might, you know, have, you're like, man, I've been setting stones for my marriage. I've been set, setting some stones for my family. I've been setting stones for like my work and my, like the changes at work and the changes in my future. And the, I've been setting stones about these relationships that have been broken because this person lied or this person deceived or this person was back in an addiction or whatever it is. But I've been setting some stones and you're looking at your life and you haven't had the courage yet to actually pray it and say, God, would you bring the fire? You've been saying it, but it, because you've been looking at how wet everything is, you've been looking at how the water's just falling on this thing, and and it just looks like like nothing can really happen, and like your work's going to be in vain. When Jesus died on the cross, I mean that was a lot of water that was pouring on the faith of people's life, and then all of a sudden, on the third day, Jesus was raised back to the, to life. And that moment of God bringing fire, bringing the power of His Spirit, gave gave hope again. Let us know that death isn't the end. Let us know that like there's more more going on than we realize. And friends, let me ask you: No matter how drenched your life looks, and how how cold it looks, and no matter if the stones are small and weak and feeble, and you you haven't done much, if anything at all, uh, is there any stones you can be putting in place? And will you be willing to have the faith to say, Lord? Move. Bring the fire. Bring the fire. Would you be willing to do that? When you set stones and, and it doesn't make sense to other people, that's called commitment. You're committing before anything has happened that you're going to believe God for something big. Will you do that with your life? Some of us here, um, like you've lived faith for a while, you've, you've been following Christ for a while, and you have some incredible days where you set some stones in your past years ago, and you asked God to bring the fire, and he did a miraculous things. You saw in your family him move, you saw people healed, you saw lives transformed and changed, your life was changed, and, and it's amazing. But the stones have grown cold. And there's like, there's, God wants to do a new thing in your life. And is it possible that you aren't setting stones up in your life now for your kids and your grandkids to see because you're looking back at what happened yesterday instead of looking at what God could do today? I had a friend tell me one time, he doesn't want to live off the faith that of, of years ago, of what God did back in the past. He wants to be known by the faith that he has today. But that takes risk. You have to, again, be willing to look foolish 
and to start, and start setting stones and asking God to move and with your family and with your faith and with your life and set these things up and then and just say God would you would you show up again See, a life of faith is a life of faith. You're having to learn to take a step, one step at a time. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I can't live off of yesterday's faith. i got to live on today's faith so that I can see God move tomorrow. And so I can see him move now in my life. And again, it's not Elijah that's doing this stuff. God is using his faith to ignite a nation's hearts back to God. I had a, um, a friend named Jason who um, he set the stones and he asked God to bring the fire. He um, was in a job that was getting more and more toxic and he had been years wanting to get out of this thing. It was just getting worse and worse. And, and finally, he acted in faith. He, he didn't just talk about stones. He didn't just talk about how bad the work was and how he wanted things to change and all that stuff. He, he didn't just kind of step back and become the victim, the bystander, and the critic. Um, it, it would have been really tempting and easy because he was in a really toxic environment, really hard. He, um, he, he decided to set some stones. So he, he sent out his um, resume. He started looking. He, and the most important thing he did is he told his, his community group. He said, would you pray with me? Would, I, I, I am praying for this. Would you ask that God would bring the fire, that God would bring something because I, I i need to i need a change and and uh it wasn't too long after he decided to do that that god actually brought something that was just the right thing for him how many of us know what the right thing is we know the stones that need to be set we've just been too afraid to set them so we've just been standing waiting and nothing's happening god wants to respond to our faith there are some things that we aren't ready to handle because we have not matured ourselves. We have not stepped out and prepared ourselves to be ready for it. I'm not talking health and wealth. Like, it's just like a father with a son. I'm not going to hand my son a power tool when he's like five months old. Wes is too little. But as he matures and he prepares and he gets ready, then he can be, he's ready to handle the blessings that God wants to give him, the blessings that his father wants to give him. Are you with me? So here, I, I, I want to I challenge you guys with, with, with these things as we, as we get ready to close here. I want to challenge you to commit to three things. So we're heading toward this, as we're heading toward this faith series. I think we're going to see God's hand move. I'm so excited about it. I've been studying for weeks to get ready for this series and to get the sermons. And we're going to have devotionals for you guys. We're getting groups ready for you guys. I want you guys to buy in and say, I'm going to commit to something. And rather than just being like be caught between two, two worlds, rather than being like the lion that can't move because you're, you're in the trance, like make a commitment. And I want you to commit to these things. One is to commit to joining us. Every, every Sunday for the series. Just commit to say, I'm going to grow. I'm going to do all that's in my power to, to make myself ready to grow. Set the stone of committing to coming to the whole series. Just say, like, I'm going to, I'm going to grow. I'm going to believe that God's going to use this. Commit to it. Um, I, I want you to commit to inviting somebody. We all have people in our life that are hurting, broken, needing faith. And I'm, I'm telling you, that we're going to have something. Even if your friend hates the church or hates Christianity, I'm telling you, there's something that they will be able to bring away with them. This is going to be for them. This, I, I, I believe God's going to, he's radically going to transform lives. I think that God's going to lead people into an eternal relationship with him. So bring people and commit to inviting somebody. I mean, you can't control their decision, but invite someone. Bring someone with you. Say, come on, come sit with me and see what God does. And lastly, I want you to commit to either hosting or joining a group. 
How many of you guys are going to be hosting? How many hosts do we have in the room? We've had an awesome response. We're praying for 35. We have people that are going to be hosting. Come on, put your hands. Don't be afraid. Just put your hands up real quick. We've got people all around that are hosting. It's awesome. We need more. Some of you guys heard me talk about 35. We're getting toward there. But you just, you know, God hasn't shared with you that yet. So I'm just going to be silent for about five minutes until God shares with you that you should host. What's the worst thing that could happen if you stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to commit to hosting a group? What's the worst thing that can happen? People you invite, the people you get ready, none of them show up. And the worst thing is that you have to spend time with the Lord on your own, which you've been needing to do anyway. <laughs> Come on. Like, it's not like you've got the prophets of Baal who are going to kill you if it doesn't go out. I mean, we act like it's such a big deal. Like, how big of a step of faith is it? I mean, some of you might be really big, but come on, what's the worst that could happen? Host a group. Host a group. Bring some people together. It could be two, three coworkers. Open your house. Open your RV. Open your, your tent, whatever. You know, maybe that's a little weird. Go to Starbucks and meet people. Like, just... Host a group and for seven weeks commit to growing together. As your pastor, I want what's best for you. And I get worried about people who aren't in groups. If people are in groups, I'm worried less about them because I know they have people who will love them. I know they have people who will walk with them, hold them accountable to the, the commitments they make. I know that there are people who are going to be with them when they're, when they're going through tragedy and they're going to grieve with them. But if you're not in a group, I don't know that that's happening in your life. We grow together. Commit to a group. So those are the three things I'm, I want for you. I'm excited about as we head in next week. Get ready. Get ready for God to move. Let's set some stones and ask God to bring the fire. Finally, when we ask God to bring the fire, Elijah prayed this prayer. And today, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you sometime today pray that God would move your heart and move other people's hearts for the faith series. Would you pray this prayer? Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, I've got it on your notes. You can grab it if you don't know where it is in the Bible. Grab it on your notes and pray this prayer today as a community. What would happen if we as a church prayed this prayer of faith? And God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. And I'm your servant. That at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that the, the, this people will know that you're, you, Lord, are God. And that you have turned the hearts back. Pray the prayer that God would turn your heart and others' hearts to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we're grateful for you. Would you ignite the stones in our life? Would you ignite our hearts Would you help us to quit wavering and to begin to commit in faith? And Lord, if there's some of us that are in the crowd that have been waiting and watching, would we remember that the power of one person's faith could ignite a whole nation? One person's faith could ignite a whole movement. So Lord, would we step out from the crowd today and would we commit and have faith. And would you use that in Jesus' name. Amen.